0: Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got some great Canadians on the show this week. You've got Charles Jordan, who's taking on Josh Kulabau this weekend at UFC Fight Night. You've got Brad Katona, who just signed a deal with a regional promotion in Germany, and he will make his return to the cage very, very soon, fighting for the bantamweight championship of the world against Stepe Bercic in his brand-new promotion. And we've also got Hakim Dawadu joining us after a huge win for him this past weekend over Zubaira Tahugov extending his win streak to five in a row. And he looks like the uh, hottest Canadian prospect. I don't even know if you can call him a prospect anymore. He's now a contender uh, in the UFC. So uh, good on him for a big win. Uh, due to some audio issues, unfortunately, uh, I had recorded a, a bunch of content with Joe that just did not sound good, and uh, I had to scrap it. But I do have a good conversation that I had with Joe uh, that was untouched in terms of audio quality about weight cutting, and uh how fighters are getting away with you know coming in overweight for fights without any real consequences uh, aside from uh compensatory so we discussed that but uh let's uh, obviously start off by talking about just a masterclass performance that Israel Adesanya put on this past weekend against Paulo Costa um, it was just perfection you know you cannot have a better performance than that in a title shot at the highest level of MMA and uh, he honestly just made Costa look completely out of his element. He made Costa look like he just had nothing for him. And you could just see the confidence level of Paulo Costa just get drained out of his system uh, just by by the second. As that fight went on, he just got less and less confident and more and more flummoxed with what you do against Israel Adesonia. And uh, it, was, it was interesting to see Paulo Costa like that, man, because Paulo Costa is not the type of fighter that... Uh, seems to get phased by much but uh israel was is just another animal I mean Israel was uh just the completely dominant there's really no other way to put it, and that's why I'm at a loss for words his His performance was a master class. You just do not get better than that now the question is what's next for Israel Adesanya? and uh again, I spoke to Joe, but uh because of the audio issues i'll I'll try to let you know what is on my mind. Uh, unfortunately we aren't able to get Joe's vantage point on this, but I think that the best thing he can do next is fight Jan Bojovic. I think that that's the fight that makes the most sense for him. I just don't see what he gets out of fighting Jared Kananier should Kananier end up, uh, defeating Robert Whitaker. Now I know he'll get some momentum from that, but if I'm the UFC and I'm trying to build a superstar, I want to build my next big star and Israel's well on his way to becoming the next big star of the UFC. I think you have you the the best thing you can do is is put get try to get another belt on him. And if he loses to Jan Boahovic, which is very possible, Jan Boahovic we'll talk about very soon as opposed you know the, the new light heavyweight champion of the world and how he was able to defeat Dominic Reyes in, in such spectacular fashion. But if Israel is able to beat him and become a two division champion, then you set up a uh super fight with John Jones. It's like now you're talking about just a big 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 fight, big money fight, big promotional fight. These guys have been at each other on Twitter for the last couple days, nonstop, And uh, it seems like that's a fight that's going to happen at some point in time. But uh, I think that if you can take Israel and get get him to that next level at light heavyweight as well, and, uh, you know, I hate to do this to Jan Boahovic, because Jan Bojavich is an excellent fighter, but it seems like he is, the, you know, the most wanted man in the UFC. Everybody wants to crack at him because they think that he's a a champion that's going to be beatable. And whether or not he is, we'll, we'll find out. But, I mean... The Jan Bojovic we saw this past Saturday is not going to be an easy out. That was a, an incredible performance against Dominic Reyes, who I think a lot of people had anointed, myself included to an extent, as you know this being the Reyes era coming up in the light heavyweight division. Not so, as Jan Bojovic hits him with that crazy body kick that you could just see the bruising immediately on Dominic Reyes. And Reyes, I don't know, Reyes looked slow. He didn't look like he had come in to the, to the fight in the same shape that he had in the past. I don't know if maybe because he performed so well against John Jones, he thought this would be a layup, uh, but far from it. It was, uh, in fact, a, a shot that ended up getting blocked into the stands, if we're going to put it into basketball terms, because Jan Bojovic is uh, he's your new champion, and he did it with relative ease against uh, somebody who was a 3-1 a to favorite in that fight. So you got to hand it to Jan Bojovic, but going back to Israel, I think that the The best-case scenario for him in terms of promotional would be to face Jan Bojovic next. Now, he doesn't want to fight again by the end of the year. Jan Bojovic is about to have his first child and uh, says that he wants to come back in March of 2021. That seems like a long time for Israel to wait, knowing uh, how anxious he has to get back in there. So maybe you do the Cannoneer fight, and then, you know, should he beat Cannoneer, you, you try to stage a super fight between him and Jan. But that being said, I mean, we're starting to get a bit of a backlog in the light heavyweight division, you got Glover Teixeira and Tiago Santos coming up. That's been rescheduled, I think, twice now. Uh, but now they're going to be facing off, and uh, that's an incredible fight. Tiago Santos is the last person to beat Jan Bojavich, so that, that would be a natural match if you're able to get that together, if if, if Tiago Santos beats Glover. And I don't think that that's going to be an easy task. In fact, I think Glover is going to win that fight, um, but we will see. Uh, and then you also have a reported matchup against uh, Alexander Rakic, and Yuri Prokhozka, and that's uh, a fight that I think sh- should have some implications of the division as well. So, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, no shortage of challengers that are starting to come about in the light heavyweight division. So, we're going to have to see how that goes, but, I mean, the UFC is a promotion at its core. You know, you, you do want to make the the fights that are fair for the divisions, but you also, first and foremost, want to make money. I mean, that's why the UFC... Does so well is they give you the fans the fights that they think are the biggest fights that can be made, and uh, they've almost always been able to do that. In fact, they're trying to bring Conor McGregor back uh, after some public posturing between him and the boss, and we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But uh, for Israel, I think that this is uh, an opportunity for him to grow his star even more. I mean, you know, I had mentioned to Dana White that I thought his stock was down going into that fight against Romero, and I might have been wrong, or coming off that fight against Romero, rather. I might have been wrong about that. You look at the numbers for this event, uh, according to Mike Coppinger of The Athletic, apparently this event did 700,000 worldwide buys, which is a a very strong number for a a fight card like that. And if that's the case, I I think the UFC should be very pleased with that number. But uh, in addition to that, you also see the embedded numbers, and they were particularly high, and it's quite clear that Israel is starting to really ascend in popularity. And uh, that the Romero fight, as much as people were complaining about it after the fact, may not have had a, a negative impact on his stock. I, I think he, it could have done wonders for his stock had he finished Romero in that fight. But uh, now he goes out and has this kind of a performance, and his star has nowhere to go but up. It, it is soaring right now. So, uh, you know, good on him. His stock is like the Zoom stock in the uh, during this coronavirus era. It's just it's going through the roof. That's not an endorsement to buy Zoom stock, by the way. I don't know anything about the stock market, so if you're if you're looking for stock market advice, I'm not your guy. So congratulations to Israel Adesanya on uh, that kind of performance, and congratulations to Jan Bojavich. Uh and also Hakeem Dawadu. You know, a Canadian finally making uh, some noise in the UFC. It's been some time since uh, George St. Pierre, I guess, beat Michael Bisping that we've had some real Canadian success. You know, you, we had Felicia Spencer. Fight for the title, but uh, I think that that was more a product of that division having four fighters in it than um, you know her particular success. I mean, she she was coming off of a, a loss, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, we'll uh, sorry, she wasn't coming off of a loss. She was the cyborg fight. Yeah, sorry, she was coming off a win. She she had come back and won her next fight. Pardon me against uh uh. What was it? what was the name of? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember who she beat be in order to get that shot. It's, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I can picture her, but I am bad with names sometimes. So you'll have to pardon me on this on this one. Uh, great performance by Hakeem Dawudu against Tuhugov. and you feel for the guy. You know he travels to Abu Dhabi. His opponent weighs in 30 minutes into the weigh-in window is is four pounds overweight. You know you can't you you hate to see that because you know that they could have put in more effort into cutting that weight and could have put more of a toll on their body, and instead decided to take the easy way out. And, uh, you know, he, he obviously he gets a, a share of Zubaira's uh, purse, and I'm sure he's happy about that, and I'm sure he's happy to walk away with the win, but you're risking your standing whenever you get into a situation like that. And I'll talk to Joe a little bit later about this. I don't think it's fair that they kind of back a lot of these fighters into a corner to take a fight against an overweight opponent. We'll, I'll, we'll talk about some remedies for that a little bit later on. Some other fights uh, from that card. Brandon Royval looking phenomenal in his first two UFC fights, beating two consecutive top ten flyweights. Uh, Kai Carafrance, not an easy out. Finishes him early in the second round after a great first round against him. He looks like a real player in the flyweight division. And some breaking news out of the flyweight division uh, this Friday morning from Kombach. Ra- Ra- Rafael Mourinho, one of the great newsbreakers in this sport. Uh, you should give him a follow even though his tweets are in uh, Portuguese. He's always uh, coming at you with some big news. Reporting that Cody Garbrandt is out of UFC 255. And the flyweight championship bout will be Davis and Figueiredo against Alex Perez. And Perez was supposed to face Brandon Mourinho on that card. I'm surprised they went with Perez rather than Mourinho. Uh, Moreno, rather. See, I'm getting Hoff- Rafael Mourinho and Brandon Moreno confused. And it happens. But uh, I think that they... Moreno might have been the person you go with, but Alex Perez has certainly been on a roll. He only has lost to uh, Joe Benavidez, and he he thought that that loss uh, was as a result of uh, that headbutt that happened. It kind of took him out of sorts and took him out of that fight, an unintentional clashing of heads. So let's see how that goes. That's going to be an interesting title fight. Uh, Alex Perez, a very underrated fighter in the division. Some other uh, fights on the card. We saw Diego Sanchez lose uh, in pretty dominant fashion to Jake Matthews. The uh, successful debut of Juan Espino. And uh, his opponent Jeff Hughes, uh, according to MMA Fighting this morning, has been released from the UFC. As has uh, Hadis Ibrahimov, who lost uh, on the card as well. So, some, uh, some news coming out of that particular card. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about the next weekend's card. Uh, at the end of the show, after some interviews, as I mentioned earlier, some guests on the show, Hakeem Dawudu, Brad Gatona, Charles Jordan, looking forward to speaking to all of them, and the, I, some audio issues with the uh, Brad Gatona interview, salvageable, but you'll have to excuse how that sounds as well, so just a, a bevy of audio issues, and that comes with the territory, we're working from home, doing the best we can, but, uh, you know, I don't have a studio here, so, at least an audio studio, so, uh, you know, we have to roll with the punches just like uh, they do in the sport on a weekly basis. Conor McGregor in the news once more. And I thought it was interesting that he uh, he tweeted what he did, which was you know direct messages between him and Dana White regarding Diego Sanchez, and put himself into the news when uh, Israel Adesanya is fighting for the title and they're under the same management umbrella. But uh, I'll... Uh, you know, it could be coincidental. I don't know. But, you know, I, I feel like that kind of took away from some of Izzy's shine, although Izzy certainly had enough shine to go around after that event. But Conor McGregor saying that, uh, you know, he wanted to fight four times this year. He put out uh, direct messages, and Dana called it one of the dirtiest things you can do is putting out private conversations into the public. Uh, you know, it's hard to disagree with that particular statement. You know, if, if you're having private messages with someone, you, you, the expectation is that it's pretty much off the record unless otherwise disclosed. So now we look at uh, Conor McGregor saying he wanted to do a charity sparring match with Dustin Poirier that would go to charity. Poirier agrees. They've got posters ready and all of this. And we come to learn from the My Mom's Basement podcast hosted by the great Robbie Fox of Barstool Sports. Uh, Dana White appears on the show and says that they have put out bout agreements, offered bout agreements to both Poirier and Conor McGregor for a rematch, uh, which was six years ago this past week, UFC 178 when uh Conor McGregor beat Dustin Poirier in the first round that it it, it in uh, the featherweight division different fighters now but uh you look at the odds for this i thought that Poirier was going to open up as a favorite honestly I, I you know given how good Poirier has gotten since that fight but now that line opened at minus 175 for mcgregor the comeback on poirier plus 150 it now moved all the way up to minus 220 for mcgregor comeback on poirier plus 185 uh i mean that's pretty spectacular value in my opinion on dustin poirier in that fight I think that the Poirier we see now versus the Poirier we saw then are just night and day. Not that McGregor hasn't improved since then either, but um, it's just uh, calling it like I see it. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But um, very interesting times for uh, Conor McGregor. And uh, Dana White also dropped a little nugget on the uh, that, that same podcast that they were looking to have Conor and Khabib co-host the uh, reboot of the ultimate fighter not co-host but be co- uh, coach against one another rather on the reboot of the ultimate fighter and apparently it was in the works and after what connor was saying and you know khabib kind of ba- you know backed out on it wasn't happy with how connor was conducting himself I don't. I was surprised nobody asked him that at the media availability for Habib. Um, you know, I was recording it, so I, I didn't uh, have the technology available to ask questions. I would have certainly asked that. Although every time Connor came up with either Gaethje or Habib, they said, "Well, we're focused on our opponents. We don't want to talk about Connor." Um, you know, rightfully so. Of course, they do have a big fight coming up with one another. Uh, one question that was asked, and I want to discuss this because I tweeted out a video of Habib taking exception to a reporter asking him about. Um, you know, how he has been feeling uh, after the loss of his father preparing for this fight. If, uh, you know, his his feelings and I guess, you know, and all of that. And it's not a great question. I mean, I, admittedly, and I think that's why I put the video out. I think that uh, there are better, there are more creative ways to ask that question where you're not basically saying, how does it feel to have lost your father? I mean, that's not, obviously we know how it feels to lose a parent if you've lost a parent. Or even if you haven't lost a parent, you can imagine what it would be like to lose a parent. Um, and, I, you know, I, I didn't put this out there to make that reporter look bad or anything. More so that uh, it's just a question that you kind of know the answer to it already. It's it's not really a question you need to ask. It's a question you can ask. I, I don't have any issues with the question being asked one time. And, I mean, Khabib said everybody that's been interviewing me keeps asking me this. Of course, my you know, it's terrible that I lost my father. And, I, you know, I... You know, how would you feel if you lost your father? And that's, I think, a very respect- respectable answer. I You know, I, I don't think that he needs to keep getting asked about it. But I don't know if that reporter heard the other interviews with him. I, you know, maybe it, it was the first time it was asked during that virtual media day. I don't really have a problem with a reporter asking that question. I just don't think it's a great question. So, I mean, that that's my... I'll leave it at that. It ended up being, uh, turning into people taking shots at the MMA media, in quotes. Lumping everybody into this one big pool of... Uh, everybody's the same. Everybody's the MMA media and journalism sucks and all of this. And I don't stand for that. I think that's ridiculous. I think that people need to, you know, if you don't, if you don't like the way that people ask questions or that you don't like the way that things are covered, just stop, stop, go. Just watch the fights. You don't need to consume our. It's not. It's not a right for you to con- consume our uh, our coverage. You know it's. Someone sent me a message today or the other day this week on uh, on Twitter saying uh, stick stick to MMA. And then I blocked them because I, nobody tells me what to stick to. I mean, I'm a human being. I can voice my whatever I want to talk about. I can talk about I'm not I'm not being put into a box at, you know, at your request. And then they, they go on to send me, of course, an Instagram message saying, why did you block me? You whatever you snowflake or whatever it is but when you when you really peel back the layers of the onion there, why am i you're calling me soft, but then when I block you, you're going and like trying to find another way to to connect with me I don't know whatever either way, I think that a lot of people are very harsh on this profession on on being a journalist and on being uh covering what whatever it is politics music sports anything. For whatever reason, people think that this is an easy job, that this is a job that anybody can do. And when questions like that are asked to Khabib, sure, I mean, anybody can come up with that question, absolutely. But one question does not a profession make. And I think that people need to, you know, if you're going to be critical of, of people... Uh, that are that are covering the sport, and you think that that MMA media as a whole is doing a bad job? Stop visiting the site. Stop consuming it. Like nobody, ha- it's like what Dana White says: nobody's making you pay for these events. Nobody's making you watch the events. It's your choice. So, you can you can, and again, we're open to criticism. It's fine. But when you're taking everybody and you're putting them into one box and you're saying all MMA media are bad, all journalists are bad, I just don't stand for that. I think that that is uh, lazy. I think that it's ridiculous and i think that everything should be approached on a case by case basis in that one instance with khabib i think that that was a silly question or at least a question with an obvious answer that you don't really need to ask there are certainly more creative ways you can ask about how preparations have been how you know how are preparations different those are questions i think that are fair questions i think that um, you know when you lose your you know when, when somebody loses the head coach like when robert, when robert fallah passed away you know, if people, people were asking Kevin Lee, you know, you know what's it like? How's thing, how have things changed without Robert Follis? You know, how has Robert Follis, your coach's death, affected you? I think that's a, a question that is fair to ask. But when it's someone's father, I think that if you ask, how's, you know, how is life without your father? That's a silly question. But if you ask, you know, this is your first camp without your dad. Obviously, he meant a lot to you. How are things different? That's just a better way of phrasing that question. So, you know, my uh, my intent wasn't for it to be open season on MMA media, in quotes again. But uh, just uh, wanted to clarify what the intent of that was. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to, I didn't name that reporter. I don't think that reporter needs to be named. I think that, you know, I, I don't even necessarily think it's an unfair question. I think that it's a question that you can ask. I just think that it's a question that has an obvious answer that is, you know, it's not the not the best question you can ask. That's all. And I agree with Habib's sentiments that like you don't need to ask that question. I think the answer is fairly straightforward, you know that w- there's only one answer to that question <laughs> he's not going to be like, "Oh, things are great, yeah you know, things are th- it's it's all sunshine here it's It's difficult, it must be difficult for him. You could tell he was dreading doing the media day to begin with, like he's tra- probably trying to focus on this fight, and his focus is being taken away. it has to be taken away he's a hu- like he said I- I'm a human being, he is a human being." And you have to respect the fact that this is a very difficult circumstance for him. And now he's fighting, like, months after his father passed away. And his father wasn't just his father. He was his coach, his mentor, his best friend. You know, like, these are these are difficult circumstances, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I certainly don't blame Khabib for coming out and saying, like, listen, you know, this people need to stop asking me this. And I have to respect that. And people should stop asking him. So that media availability with uh, him and in, in, uh Justin Gaethje was it was fairly interesting. Another interesting point that Khabib brought up was that uh apparently Dana White has told him that he's got something very special planned for him after this fight, should he win. He's he told Dana he doesn't want to talk about it until after the fight, which of course, you know, you want to focus on the fight, and uh everybody should should understand that. But uh his manager, Ali Abdelaziz, went on Twitter afterwards and said it's not Connor, it's not GSP. So what is it? Is it Floyd Mayweather? Like what? 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 What is more special than those two fights? Like, I'm I'm trying to think about what they could have planned for Habib. That's bigger than either a Conor rematch or the fight with GSP that he has apparently been trying to, you know, has been lobbying for for years. Like, what could it be? Because I don't think I can't think of anything bigger than those two things. Maybe I'm not thinking outside the box. Um, i don't think a mayweather boxing match is bigger than those two things i think that when you take a, a mostly not that Khabib's striking isn't very good but he's mostly known for being a, a grappler and if it was an mma fight i mean floyd mayweather like you could blindfold khabib and he would win that against floyd mayweather he would find he would find floyd he would take him down and he would he would hang on to him and the the fight would be over like Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's they're going to blindfold Khabib and have him do MMA against Floyd Mayweather. No disrespect to Floyd, but I mean, as soon as Khabib got his hands on him and wrapped, you know, it would be, it would, that would be a rap. You know, you have a guy in Russian yelling to him from the side. Of, oh, he's coming. He's, he's coming from the left. He's coming from the right. <laughs> I'd watch. I'd watch it. It's so the pay-per-view of the century. Floyd Mayweather versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. In a mixed martial arts bout. Where Habib will be blindfolded for the duration of the bout. Sign me up. Take my money. Anyhow, let's move on to a less ridiculous things. You got a home versus Aldana this weekend. Dana White has said that uh, Irene Aldana will get a title shot if she is able to get a win. Over Holly Holm. But the interesting thing to me about that. Is that when you look at. The other women's bantamweight matchup on the card. You've got Jermaine Durandame and Juliana Pena squaring off. Durandome is ranked number one. So like what happens if Aldana squeaks out a split decision win over Holly Holm. In a very close fight that is, doesn't have a lot going on. And Pena takes Durandame down in the first round and subs her. Like I think you'd have to give Pena the shot No. Pena's beating the number one contender, who's got a much better record than Holm. No disrespect, I don't think the level of competition is necessarily the same, but Durandame did beat Holm. (laughs) So, I mean, like, you gotta gotta look at that. But uh, if Pena ends up beating Durandame, like, I think she can sneak in there, don't you think? Am I crazy for thinking that? Like, I know that Aldana beating Holm would be certainly a big deal, but if Durandame is the number one contender, and Pena scores a finish in the first round or a second round or, you know, dominates that fight... And Aldana squeaks out a win over home in an uneventful five-round kind of technical striking showcase that is close. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think you could certainly make the case that Pena should be next. Pena's a great fighter. And her only loss uh, is to Valentina Shevchenko. I can't remember. I don't think she lost. I think she beat Kat Zingano. I'm just going to go back and look. It was a long time ago. UFC 200 seems like ages ago now. I guess it was it was four four plus years ago, but uh, Juliana Pena, since winning the Ultimate Fighter, yeah, her only loss is is a submission loss to Valentina Shevchenko. I mean, like talking about pound for pound number two female fighter in the world. So, since winning the Ultimate Fighter, she's gone four and one. She'd be five and one, which I think would be among the best women's bantamweight records of anyone. So, uh, I think that you could make a case that she should get the next title shot. I mean, Aldana's had her ups and downs. You know, you, lo- you look at Irina Aldana in her last, uh, I mean, she is five and one in her last six and her only loss is a split to Raquel Pennington. So, I mean, but you look at the level of competition and I think that Pena has fought much tougher opponents. Although that win over Ketlin Vieira was certainly impressive for Aldana, but, uh, I think if Aldana gets a, scores a, a good win over home, wins a, a unanimous decision, gets a finish, you certainly give her the shot. I'm not trying to lobby for Juliana Pena here, but I do think that if if you look at the uh, the UFC rankings in the uh, women's bantamweight division and you 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 kind of deconstruct them a little bit, you have got Nunes obviously the champion, Duran is number one, home number two, Lad number three, Jermaine Duran has a win over Lad, Pena number four. Pennington number five, I don't know why Pennington's ranked above Aldana, but uh, because of that one split decision, that's weird to me. Uh, but Aldana is number six. So if number six beats number two, it has more, ram- higher, you know, bigger ramifications than four beating one. That Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, I think a lot is on the line, actually, in the women's bantamweight division this weekend. For, uh, for both of them. And I think that both, I think that that's by design. I think that they really want the winner of uh, these fights to make a statement if they want to get a title shot. So, uh, good on them. I think that that's, uh, the, those, those are two interesting matchups in the division. Uh, the Canadian on the card, Charles Jordan, minus 450 favorite over Josh Kulabau. And, uh, He's, the he's I guess, now the second biggest favorite on the card. He was the biggest favorite yesterday. Now Kyler Phillips is the biggest favorite, minus 460, Jordan minus 450. So uh, among the uh, biggest favorites on the card, uh, those are the two biggest favorites. And uh, I think that that is uh, probably the right number for Jordan. I think Jordan has shown that he can hang with the, uh, the top guys with that win over Duho Choi and, uh, of course, the split decision loss to Andre Feely. That when you take a newcomer like Kulabao, I think that it's expected that Jordan will win that fight, but we'll see. I talked to Charles uh, about how uh, he likes to be scared of opponents and asked him if he's scared of Koulibao. So why don't we uh, jump into that interview? We've got Charles Jordan from Quebec. He's now one and two in the UFC, but uh, don't let those numbers fool you. The win is over Duho Choi, one loss to Desmond Green, fighting upper weight class at 155. Jordan's probably closer to 135 than he is at 155. And uh, a split decision loss to Andre Feely. So even though he's one and two, you got to look at the resume. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined from Fight Island by Charles Jordan, who's taking on Joshua Koulibau this weekend at uh, UFC Fight Night. I want to ask you first about Israel
1: Adesanya against Paulo Costa. Uh, did you get a chance to watch oh the fight? Oh Before I asked you? You watched it, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was sitting here in my hotel room. Actually, from my balcony, I could see Paulo, and then after that Israel uh, get into the limo and uh, go. So it was like my fanboy moment watching them from above. I was like, oh my god, it's them! And uh, no, it was crazy. I like sometimes when people are talking to me about UFC, I'm I'm talking with them like as a fan, and now I realize, hey, I'm in the UFC too. But of course, I'm not that caliber of fighter yet. But yeah, it's something crazy.
0: Well, Israel says the same thing, so he, you can probably relate to him on that level. But uh, when you see a performance like that, does that inspire you as a fighter
1: seeing oh, such absolutely. perfection? Yeah, like like you said, the word the word is perfection. He didn't got hit once by one of the biggest brawler. Was smart, and uh, you know, Izzy's always talking about that no damage, uh, no damage, and aiming for. Uh, Performances of the night instead of fight of the night. He said, Fight of the night are dumb. And I was like, man, he's right. And why it took me so much time to to realize this. And uh, yeah, I think Izzy as a champion is something great for any up and coming fighter. So when you take that mentality into this
0: fight, does that mean you're going to be a little bit more uh, measured when it comes to your attack?
1: Calculated. Yeah, That that's the word. That's the word uh, we use during the camp because uh, most of the time when I'm losing. Like grappling exchanges that cost me fights. Like I never got out fought, out strike. I only got uh, taken down, then got up. But yeah, when you get taken down, they give the round to your opponent. So I need to be less wild, like controlled aggression. We call it. And uh, yeah, it's all about control. And uh, but I need to stay myself. Like if I'm fighting like someone else, I'm gonna lose that. Charles from Flamboy- flamboyant who got into the UFC. So I have to be careful with that. So yeah, it's gonna be a. Uh, I'm gonna measure myself, but of course I need to be I need to be me. One thing you always tell me about yourself is that <coughs> you like to fight
0: against someone who you're scared of, somebody who yep. keep kinda of keeps you up at night. You're a, almost a five to one favorite in this fight against Joshua Coolybau. Does Joshua Coolybau scare you?
1: No. No, he doesn't. Uh um, actually, it's the first time I get more experience than the guy I'm fighting. I never fought someone who has less experience than me in my whole professional career. I, I think once, like in my first, second fight, <clears throat> I was 1-0 and the guy was 0 But after that, I always fought guys who had ton of experience and fought uh, other fighters that were... More dangerous than me, so I was always scared of that. But seeing his resume, who he beat and uh, who I faced and how I faced them, like of course I lost to Philly, but it was a decision. It was a very close fight. Dropped him in the first, so I, I prove, I no, I didn't prove, but I, I showed him that I, I belong like in the top 25. Maybe I wouldn't say top 15, uh, not at all, but uh yeah, top 25 in the UFC. So when they gave me that name, I was like, all right. It's okay. I'll take it. Uh, I like that. I like the, the, this matchup. And uh, yeah, the, of course, I was a little disappointed because it's not someone that's well known. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take one fight uh, at a time. I'll win this match and then I'll go on, the, on to the other ones.
0: So this is a kind of a complex question, but does it scare you that you're not scared of this guy? I mean, you like to enter a fight with that mentality. And instead, yeah. you almost have to convince yourself that this is going to be a closer fight than maybe the odds makers believe it's going to be.
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's not normal that I'm not scared. But the closer we'll get to the fight, the more I'll get those, uh, you know, some butterflies. Like I saw him in the lobby and I was like, oh, my God, OK. And then... Uh, one thing I realized when I I got his name and I was watching his state, I was like, okay, maybe he's not he's not Choi or Philly's caliber, but this guy made it to the UFC, so adds up to him. Like, there's no bad fighters in the UFC. You no, know, we don't care about the uh, underdogs, or this or that. Everybody comes to fight, so I need to be prepared for that. So, <clears throat> what I'm most scared of is uh, underperforming, and uh, so the, I got the 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 the. the the old scary thing, it's still there, but not, uh, I'm not scared of the inv- individual. I'm more scared of having a bad performance. But once I get into this cage, all those thoughts are gonna be gone. It's kill or be killed, and I'm, I'm coming to heat and kill.
0: After your fight with Feely, when they were announcing the scorecards, you had a look on your face yeah. of being perplexed when you got one of the scorecards, and then you spoke yes, to sir. Feely afterwards. What did you say to Feely?
1: Uh, I told them uh, experience matter. Like, yeah, I always hear people say, oh, experience this, experience that. And I was like, "Nah, experience, you, you know, you're just two guys fighting. And Philly adapted to everything I threw during this fight. And uh, I was throwing leg kicks. Uh, I, I beat the shell of his forearm with my, my left kick, which is my favorite weapon. And he was switching stance, attacking me with different attack. He was very smart. And uh, that's where, and then he said Ben had done that, and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like you, you, you're always fighting crazy guy at Team Alpha Male. Plus you have 15 fights in the UFC, so experience. Uh, I, I told them like experience it showed the, in our fight. But then looking back at the fight, considering the knock knockdown in the first, the fact that I outstruck him, I and when I got down in the second round, I got up like in two seconds. I got down and then I got back up. So, and they gave him that round. So. Watching the fight again, I, people I, like
2: well,
1: <clears throat> when I was watching on the internet, Instagram, and everything, people were saying, "Oh, the kid got robbed," and they said that. And me, in my head, right after the fight, I was like, "No, I lost. He took me down." And those takedowns are killers for me. Every time I lost, it's for the same thing. I never got out fought, out or whatever. I always got taken down when I'm when I'm being dumb and just chasing and just losing myself. So. I need to be smarter in my approach now because, of course, Koulibaly is going to try to take me down. He's out there telling interviewers and this and that, oh, it's going to be a great striking match. Yeah. No, it's not. You're going to turn into a wrestler, uh, like, like, probably in the first two, three minutes.
0: I uh, co-host my podcast with Joe Valfellini, the, the uh, color commentator oh. from Glory. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, and he thought you won the last fight. He's, he obviously values leg kicks very much, and he's a big fan of yeah. how you throw the leg kick. <clears throat> so uh, you can take that for what it's worth.
1: Oh, my God, that's big. (laughs) Seriously. No, I I love uh, Bazooka Joe. Actually, uh, this is off the chart a little bit, but isn't the guy, what's his name, Belal, who just got signed with the UFC? Um, He's fighting Tom Breeze, like, next week. I don't know if you heard about that. Is he fighting? Is he... uh, guy affiliated with uh, bazooka joe i don't believe so he trains out in edmonton no? i think
0: with uh tanner oh, Bowser okay, my bad guys. my bad okay yeah.
1: i thought he was from toronto and uh he was like a kickboxer and, and stuff i was like oh maybe he's training with uh bazooka joe oh, sorry that's not Mal- a- malcolm oh, gordon topic.
0: trains with joe and i think yeah. Tony laramie was there recently
1: oh shit wow <laughs> like if you had the laramie brothers with some great leg kicks and uh, oh my god they're gonna be killers man well, I'm, I'm sure Joe would love to have you come to Toronto and train with him, so oh, I'll yeah, extend the invitation course. on his behalf. Yeah, thank you. That, that, <laughs> uh, of course, this whole pandemic and everything makes it uh, hard, but of course, uh, there's 100% chance that I'm, I'm training under Joe uh, one day or another.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, he's a big fan of your work and especially your light kicks and coming from him, that's obviously <laughs> a, a big badge of honor since he's the king of the light kick. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> so, uh, this past weekend, in your division, Hakim Dawodu, another yes, Canadian... Uh, he yeah. performed very well. A very close fight yes, against a very tough guy. But what did you think of, uh, of how he performed?
1: Uh, of course, first round, they were calculating each other. They both got clipped with some punches over the here, so they kind of lose balance, so they were both uh, gun-shy. But as the fight went on, uh, I was very impressed how smart he fought. Like, Akim didn't give a shit about Fight of the Night or this or that. He was like, no, I'm here to win. And that W, it's all that matter. And, uh, yeah, I crossed him uh, in my uh, doorway. I, I went out to get something to eat, and he was there. I said, hey, man, how are you doing? Congratulations. And we have a little exchange. I completely uh, respect his work. I respect the fact that he's representing Canada. And, uh, yeah, he's a great, great fighter.
0: Yeah, I think he's got the longest win streak of any Canadian in the UFC. He's got five in a row. So Let's go. Yeah, I think he's probably going to end up in the top
1: 15. and uh, Or if not, he'll be fighting somebody in the top 10 top 15 next oh they promised him yeah they, the ufc promised him a top 10 if you won against uh, Zubair. zubair yeah
0: somebody asked me uh, i was asked actually on sports center how do you think hakim's gonna do against the top 10 and i said this top 10 is a different top 10 than the rest of mma like the featherweight yeah. top ten is a shark tank and i don't yeah, know man. how he's gonna do and i don't know how anybody mm-hmm. that's one of those ones where it's hard to get to the championship level like, a lot of people still think holloway should get the next shot again at Volkanovsky because yeah. everybody's beating each other and it's hard mm-hmm. to gain ground
1: Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you because, you know, I've I've been looking at myself, uh, TJ Laramie and uh, Akeem and I'm like, what? We're all very different fighters. We're good at things that the others are bad and we're all very different. But I was like, man, we're three featherweights trying to represent Canada. And when I look at that top 10, I'm like, man, we have we need time like i'm not saying anybody's bad i'm not saying we're we're not ready but i'm looking at those guys and i'm like man like you said it's a shark thing <laughs> like volkanovsky korean zombie zabit uh, Yair, all those guys are are crazy guys like we, we need time and uh, i'm i'm glad the ufc uh, gave us uh, fi- are giving us not uh, are giving us good fighters to help us uh, grow uh, on our different ways uh, to the top just to make sure we're prepared for these type of guys, because you cannot throw us right away in the mix. Probably king, yes, because he's, he's, he's smart. I'm not saying we're dumb, but, you know, you you get my point. <coughs> Sorry. I think Lernery might be at bantamweight next. That that wouldn't surprise me. It could happen, man. He, like, the guy he was fighting wasn't that tall, and he looked way bigger than uh, TJ. But TJ's a big individual, man. He's a... He's a big guy, but, uh, man, if he goes to 135, man, he's going to be with the same reach uh, and everything. I think he could destroy most of the bantamweights uh, easily.
0: Who do you think should get the next title shot? I mean, that's kind of up in the air right now, and we've got some fights that are going to determine some contenders like uh, Ortega, Korean Zombie. Of course, Max. A lot of people thought Max won that fight. Uh, I'm in the minority. I thought Volkanovski won. But uh, who do you think should get the next title shot? And who did you think won that last title shot? That last title fight, rather?
1: Ah, uh, man, it's it's a hard one. Like, m- me personally, I thought Max did enough. But, you know, it's a title fight. I, I hate when it's so close. Like, we were watching that Kobe Covington against uh, uh, Kamaru. And, uh, like, if it wouldn't have ended, like, it was another one of those title fights so close that you don't know if it's going to do one way or another. So, back to the question. Uh, In my opinion, the fact that Brian Ortega, like, did all these things to Korean Zombie, backed off, attacked his agent, and this and that. I was like, okay, give it to Korean Zombie, man. He did what he had to do. And people say, yeah, but he lost to Yair. I said, yeah, but he was winning that fight, got clip at the last second of the last round. It was super crazy fight. So for me, I think uh, if anybody can beat Volkanovski, it's Korean Zombie. But it's just my opinion.
0: I still think that your Yair yeah, knockout is the best knockout in UFC history. Like that's, oh, my that's, God. That's unbelievable. I totally agree.
1: <laughs> yeah! Oh my God! Just the poof, and the way Korean Zombie fell out of fatigue and everything—like the body just collapsed. I was like, oh. there was like two second pause. Like everybody was like, "Whoa! No way! That just happened!" Yeah, crazy knockout.
0: Well, I'm interested to see how Ortega bounces back. It's been almost two years for him since he last competed, and Korean Zombie yeah. not an easy opponent.
1: <clears throat> oh no, no! Like did I, I was doing interview with the UFC, and they were talking to me about their. Which fighter are you the most scared of? It is this Francis Ngannou and da da And then I said, the only guy I've met in my whole entire life that was like, whoa. I never felt like some that much of a killer aura. It was Korean Zombie when I was in Busan fighting uh, Duo Choi. Like when I when I once again, uh, when I went against uh, Duo Choi, I went into the locker and there was a locker, just me and uh, and Zombie. So we had a couple of alter, uh, interaction. And then went in and uh, gave me a fist bump, all smiley, like good energy and this and that. And when he started hitting pads, phew, just transformed into the zombie man. And he was hitting pa 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 pa. I was like the sound in me. I was like, oh my god. And I looked at my brother and Louis, and Louis said, "Yeah, if they do another one in Korea, don't fight this guy." And then we were <laughs> laughing. I was like, no, there's no fucking way, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so,
0: so, so what about his aura? Like when you were meet, like face to face with him and talking with him, it was, he was like all it was all good. He was smiles and there was nothing. Oh yeah, but then it was just that, when was that's the pads.
1: point. <clears throat> that's the point. Like people who are always like mean faces and this or that, I know it's most of the time it could be a persona, but him like being so ah, la, 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 talking and the, having this wonderful aura to that game mode and it was like oh my god, the the the, the room went from sparkling and sunshine and this to a zombie is going to hit someone I was like oh, what and so it was, it was pretty cool that was a, a good moment of my career that's something I'll remember for a long time well hopefully
0: another good moment this weekend yourself uh, Joshua
1: Kulabau yes, sir. Uh, you're a, a very
0: <coughs> big favorite but like, like you said you're you're not going to underestimate this man and uh, I always no, appreciate your time
1: not. thank you very much Aaron always a pleasure
0: All right, as mentioned earlier in the show, I had a nice conversation with Bazooka Joe Valtellini about weight cutting and uh, why the penalties for, cut, for missing weight are not strong enough and what, what can be done about that. So here's that conversation with Joe where we uh, dive into that subject. One other thing I want to bring up, Joe, is at the end of the fight... Israel Adesanya used his platform to talk about weight cutting. Uh, his uh, his uh, training partner, Shane Young, uh, obviously had an opponent, Ludovic Klein, who missed weight. He, he took the fight on short notice and weighed in fi- about four pounds over. And, uh, you know, his fellow countrymen, sort of. I mean, Hakim Dawodu has a Nigerian ancestry, and I know they're managed by mm-hmm. the same uh, team. They, they met each other down there, and uh, they, they became friends. And he was upset that uh, Zubairu Tohugov also missed weight by four pounds coincidentally both same division and all that uh now hakeem won his fight shane young lost his fight but uh what, what do you think of his point that there should be much steeper penalties for uh, missing weight
3: no I, I 100% agree with him and i mean i heard ray Longo uh mention that it's like steroids i mean you're going in with an advantage like that's a four or five pound muscle advantage that's a big difference and i mean it lacks professionalism And what I'm seeing, and I think the point that Israel made, which really sticks with me, it's guys are deciding not to cut that last hour or two hours of training because eh, I'm going to give up my weight anyways. I'm going to give up the 20, 30%. So I'm just going to stop. And if money isn't an issue for you, you don't really care about 20, 30%. Personally, say I'm making the UFC minimum, which I believe is 12,000, 12,000. Okay. So. If money's not a big issue for me, for me to give up five grand to have an advantage or whatever the percentage is, for me, it's like it's worth it. And I only think the percentage comes off of just the show. The show. Yeah. So you're getting 20, 30% of a you know show bonus. I'm like, it's not that But much. you're also ineligible
0: but to win 50000 at the end of the night. You're not You're not eligible for bonus. But yeah. whatever. Which it
3: has messed up people in the past. But it, at the end of the day, having a win on your record, I'd rather win with no bonus and then lose and ha- and still get 50k It's because at, at that point it's not the money it's the value of your record you moving up in the division and we've seen guys miss weight get title shots next so there has to be steeper consequences and and I mean we even with Malcolm Gordon saw a little bit that when he fought Elbazi like we're seeing him so calm and relaxed not overly stressing to cut weight you know he's sitting there not even trying to cut weight and we're like you're asking for it at 130. You're not even trying. You're not making the 125 limit. Then you didn't even make 130. You fought at 135. So, I mean, that's not fair. It's not fair. And, I mean, guys will be penalized. And I think, like, a sign and even Dana White agreed, if you're giving guys that steeper penalty of 90 80% of whatever you want to do, they're going to spend that last hour and a half, you know, cutting weight. I'd rather you not give me 30% and you freaking struggle and make your weight. Because I did. I cut my weight. I don't care if it's last minute. You agree to the fight. You agree to the weight. If you're going to accept the fight on last minute notice and you're going to have trouble notice, make them catch weights Because it's not fair for the guy who's been training to have to suffer that extra weight for that person not to make weight. I don't agree with it. So, yeah, I'm here with Izzy, and I I agree with it. And I think – I know Dana White said something along the lines of it's the commission. It's the commission. But you know what? As the leader in the forefront of MMA, they have a monopoly. Like, they could do something a little bit more steeper because it does need to change, and it's an advantage. If we don't want other fighters to have an advantage, this is where it starts.
0: This is where I don't agree with it, and and it's what what Dana White was saying about putting it on the commissions. In my opinion, if you dock people 90% of their their pay, or even say it's a loss if you don't make the weight, it's just a straight-up loss, you're going to have people getting hospitalized, you're going to get people cutting too much weight, and you're going to get people that are in emergency situations because they're going to have to do it in order to not have something that is incredibly detrimental to their career, that they're going to try to push through something that they should not be pushing through. So... I don't agree with a ninety percent penalty or anything above the thirty percent. But I will say that what Dana White can do is if a fighter misses weight, you call off that fight and you give the person that does make the weight their show money.
3: Yeah.
0: You you tell the other person they're off the card. Maybe you can try to find a late notice of replacement or something along those lines, someone who's gonna move up from forty five to fifty five or whatever, you try to find you try to salvage the fight, but you don't make people fight heavier people. With just a 30% penalty, because like you said, that isn't fair. But I also think that if you make the penalties too harsh, you're going to have people trying so desperately to cut weight that they could die. Yeah. So I think, that, I think that if you are the UFC, the responsible thing to do is you give the person that makes the weight their show money. Maybe not show and win, but at least their base show money, and they don't have to take any damage. They don't have to go in there. They don't have to, you know, they've, they've made the weight. They've done their job. They've shown up. They've fulfilled their part of their contract. If the opponent doesn't fulfill their part of their contract and they don't make the weight, you can say to the person, hey, uh, do you still want to take this fight? You're going to get 30% of your opponent's purse. And some people will want that. They'll want to take 30% of their opponent's purse. They'll get paid more. And uh, they still have the chance to make a bonus and a fight night bonus. I get that. But the fighters should not be pressured into that. They should be able to say, "I'm not fighting somebody. I think they have too much of an advantage, and I'm and and I, you know, I let's call this thing off, and I want my show money, and the UFC should give it to them. That's the way that I think you you can make it a a level playing field because if you were, you mentioned Malcolm and you mentioned his opponent wanting it at 30 and then 35. Malcolm was ready to make 25. If Malcolm made 25 and his opponent weighed in at whatever 132 or something, Malcolm should have the option of saying, "I'm not going to take this fight." Give me my show money, and we'll, we'll I'll fight sometime in the near future. I'm you know I just had a camp. I don't want this to all be a waste. But give him the full amount of show money because he did his job. He fulfilled his contract, and the opponent did not. And to me, that is almost the same as a win. But I know you can't give someone a win if the, a fight never happens. But give them their show money, and I think that at the bare minimum, you're gonna at least give the person who makes the weight an uh, an an out that is fair to them. Because if you say, yeah. "Well, if you don't take the fight, you're not going to get your show money and whatever," like why would they? Why would they not take the fight? Like <laughs> I, I would, I think that it makes it makes total sense for a fighter to say, "Okay, I'll take your thirty percent. We'll let's do the fight anyways." But you, like you said, there 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 can be a distinct disadvantage if you do that.
3: But the the other problem with that is the pressure of the athlete. You got to think you made it to the UFC. You're there. You have an opportunity. But the problem is now it's like. Guys aren't understanding that, like they're they're getting pressured into taking the fight. So even though like the guy was ten pounds heavier than us, that's, what the are we do?
0: that's the problem. I this, know that's is, the problem. But there should not be a stigma around that. You did your job. You showed up, you yeah. made the weight, you should get paid.
3: Period. It's UFC pressure. I mean what's the what we're one less card, okay? But I think the way that the UFC will cover themselves be like, Okay, do you know what? Just take this fight, you know, don't worry what happens. And then, you know, we'll get you another fight in your own weight class. So they have that conversation because they want to save the card. So it's like, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. take this fight. I know it's a weight class up. We'll give you the opportunity. But they shouldn't be putting the pressure on that opponent.
0: They shouldn't be putting the pressure on the person that makes the weight. You should be putting the pressure on the person that doesn't make the weight. Say, you're going to get cut. Listen, you didn't make the weight. You didn't fulfill your promise. You're six pounds over or whatever. You're cut. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're putting the pressure on the wrong person. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. And that's why people are are still going through these situations and it doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't. I, I think that I think that you're they're putting pressure on the wrong people. Because if I'm Hakeem yeah. Dawadu and I've traveled all the way to Fight Island and I am I'm being promised a top ten opponent next if I win this fight like, he has every incentive in the world to take that fight. And I'm sure Zubaira Tsurugov yeah. makes 50, maybe 75 a fight. So 30% of $75,000 is still a good chunk of change. But you're risking, yeah. you're standing in the division by fighting a way heavier guy. And I think that that, like, Malcolm, Malcolm could be ranked right now if he would have won that fight, right? Like, the flyweight exactly. division, if it was a 125 fight, not a 35 fight, and he wins that fight, he's ranked in the flyweight division. Because the flyweight division is, so as a result of him doing his job and the other guy not doing his job, the other guy gets a win on his, con, on his thing. Yeah. It doesn't show up as him missing weight because he technically didn't miss weight. It ended up being at 35. So Malcolm got completely screwed in that situation. He did his job. He was ready to do his job, and the opponent didn't. And now Malcolm walked away with a loss. This guy walks away with a win. Nobody knows yeah. about what's going on behind the scenes. So exactly. I think that it's I think it's ridiculous that these guys are – that the, the, the promotion doesn't do more because the promotion should be willing to say, hey, listen, if you're not comfortable taking this fight because this guy's heavier, we'll give you your show money. We'll get you a fight soon. But instead, yeah. they're like, "Yeah, you should take this fight," but that's not—it's not fair. It's not a level playing field, like you no. said.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're just—I'm just happy that some of the times, you know, the person who is the underweight, like the Hakeem, got out, got the win. But I mean, like if he would have lost, and then it would have been such a terrible situation for the uh, uh, up, up and coming, you know, young star. That I think it's just there's too much on the line. I don't like it, but something has to happen. And I think you know you nailed it. That the responsibility does have, can't be on the fighter. It's like the fighter who gets eye poked or gets hit in the groin. Like, if I stop now, I'm not one, the, the community's going to get mad. I'm not a warrior, but I can't see out of one eye or I got hit in the genitals. Now I'm, I want to throw up and I lost all my cardio and my energy. That's not fair either. There has to be those steeper penalties. It has to make it a level playing field. If we're doing all this USADA testing to make the sport fair and clean, this is part of cleaning the sport up to make it a level playing field. My eye poke should be a point.
0: Like eye I, I poke yeah. should be a – it should be a point deduction. Honestly, like if you can't keep your hands tucked in, you can't keep your fingers tucked in and you're backing up and your fingers are in the air and you poke someone's eye, they're compromised. Like you, you've, so you, you should have a point deducted in my opinion. Like if you're able to compromise somebody with no penalty whatsoever, like it makes what's your incentive? Not, you should almost like, if I was a fighter, I would poke someone in the eye on purpose every fight. Like why not? Like the referees aren't doing anything.
3: They're not doing anything. Exactly. You get one warning. Okay. And now I'm fighting someone with one eye. Yeah. Like this is is a young sport,
0: but there's a lot that's broken about it that can be easily fixed. Like, it, like yeah. all of these things that we're discussing right now are, are such easy fixes for consistent yeah. problems in the sport. But like, yeah. I don't know why the UFC wouldn't just pay people their show money if they've shown up and they have made their job. I, like, I, I get that they, they are in business to make money and you're, you are taking away content and all that. Sure. But you're still not paying the other guy. You're still saving yeah. whatever. Like if, if it's if both guys are making 15 K, you're saving $30,000 by not making yeah. that fight. You're not paying that guy and you're not giving the win bonus anybody it
3: seems to me the reoccurring issues is always around weight cutting and judging and scoring and And i think there's and wrecking yeah there's simple ways add a few more referees have an outside people you know voting there's other ways that we can help we have the use of technology now let's get more use of making sure like if a a low blow and like we got to use that technology and i think it's there we're just sticking and holding on to a lot of concepts like i think if you're out of the top 10 Why does it have to be on if I can save five weight of cutting and my opponent can save five weight of cutting and we're not in the top 10? Let's make the fight at 160. Why does it have to be 155? We might perform a little better. You're not in the top 10, but if you're in the top 10, yes, you have to make that limit. You have to make that weight. But maybe these little catch-wages beforehand and discussed before will help a lot of these issues. And
0: Dana always says, oh, it doesn't mean anything for the division if it's not at the actual weight class. It doesn't mean anything anyways if it's two unranked guys. Because the people doesn't in the matter. rankings, they, they didn't rank Shamayev. They don't rank, like, they only rank people if they fight ranked guys. So none of it matters. It still advances uh, yeah. your career. You're still beating a good fighter. You're still beating whatever, a top 30 guy in the world. It should yeah. still advance your career even if it's not at exactly 155 pounds. It does still matter. I get it among the rank- ranked guys. But if it's a ranked guy and they're having trouble making the weight, again, like, Give the people the show money and just like say, okay, we're gonna give you another guy. <laughs> like you know, yeah. it seems like it's it's these all have easy solutions and we just don't utilize them. Like judging, add a decimal point, make it a decimal point judging system. People yeah. like pe- the commission's not being able to do simple math is not a reason not to add to change the scoring criteria. A ten nine must system we've seen time and time again is not conducive to MMA. It's a boxing system. We're putting round pegs into square pegs into round holes, and that doesn't make sense.
3: <laughs> but even but think about Glory at least. We have five judges. I'll take five judges over three. At least that's yeah, a little that's bit better. It doesn't, doesn't cost much to add a two two other judges. Yeah, at the 10 system doesn't make sense know? for
0: kickboxing either, to be honest.
3: No, no it doesn't. But at but, least but, the I mean,
0: knockdowns, it gives kind of a clear criteria as to what happens exactly. in a fight. And we
3: look for them. We encourage them. You get a point for it. So it's a little different, but... Five judges, simple. Now, instead of, you know, two incompetent judges, you need three incompetent judges. You know, at least it helps, you know, with that. And I can't see why not. Like, if we're all watching from home, even if there's a 10, 15 second delay or whatever, the time Buffer reads the announcement, like, you have yourself and a bunch of the other top media in the world all having some sort or other fighters and have a thousand people who are trusted, a hundred people put in their educated opinion who they thought. They yeah, can look at the Verdict app. They can look at the it. The
0: Verdict app anything. is a perfect example. The Verdict app, they just, they have basically a worldwide scorecard. So everybody who watches a fight is putting in their score and then they have, basically it's like, let's say most of the people thought that one guy won a round and, the, and it ends up being like, they end up winning like 9.6 to whatever, 9.4 or whatever it is. I don't know the math behind it. But whatever, like they have it scored that way and you can look at like who the consensus is for each round across the board. Now, I mean... Can hackers get into that and maybe change the trajectory yeah, yeah. of a fight? Who knows? But I mean, I, I still think the that uh, Yeah, I still think that it's, uh, like, that is a better system than what we have right now, even though I still right. think it's, there's, there's obviously loopholes there, but Anyhow, be that as it may, Joe. I know you gotta get going. We're just getting fired up now. Feels like we have to hit. We have to hit. Slam the brakes when we're driving 100 miles an hour. But uh, we do have guests to get to as well. So uh, let's get to our next two interviews uh, with these Canadians. It's uh, Hakeem Dawadu coming back from Fight Island with a uh, big win over to Hugov, who missed weight for the event. And uh, then after that, you'll hear an interview with Brad Gatona. And like I warned you a little bit earlier in the show, uh, the audio levels on this aren't great. So I appreciate you uh sticking with me and uh and hopefully you'll get something out of that interview because it was nice catching up with uh with Brad Katona with Superman. So here's Hakeem Dawadu followed by an interview with Brad Katona. He's now on a five fight win streak it's Mean Hakeem Dawadu joining us after a return from Fight Island. Uh, quite the fight. Uh your opponent came in a little bit heavy, but you took the fight anyways. What did you think of your performance and what do you think of your opponent's performance in the fight?
2: Um, you know, his performance is kind of what I expected. I thought he was going to engage a little bit more. But, you know, like pretty much everything he did is what we we prepare for. And, um, you know, I just wish I would have pushed the pace a little bit more. I think I respected his takedowns a bit too much. But I, I didn't think he was going to be running like that. So we're just going to – I'm glad I came out the fight, you know, uninjured, good health. And uh, just get back and hopefully I want to fit one more in before the end of the year.
0: Yeah, that would obviously be great. Uh didn't seem like you took a ton of damage in that fight. So uh it is nice to see you get back unscathed with a nice win under your belt. Uh I would I would have to say you're probably the hottest Canadian prospect right now, given your win streak. And uh, I don't know if the word prospect is fair anymore. You're now uh, getting into contender status in the
2: division. Definitely, you know, Um Canada needs a little uplifting. So, you know, I definitely am happy to, you know, be the one leading the way, getting these wins in and, uh, you know, and it's more. It's gonna be more than just wins. I'm looking to put on, you know, a, a spectacular show. So we're gonna. Uh, it's gonna be real exciting who I'm, who we're gonna pick next, and you know, make sure it's a real fight and someone that's gonna, you know, uh, engage.
0: Now, after the main event, Israel Adesanya comes out and says that there should be stricter penalties for people to miss weight. He specifically referenced your opponent, as well as, of course, Shane Young, his training partner's opponent, both uh, missed by four pounds in the featherweight division, weighing in at 150 pounds. What did you think of him using his platform to talk about that and given the fact that it impacted you uh, over the course of the weekend?
2: It's all love and, you know, respect to him. You know what I mean? Everybody knows the last four pounds are the ones that count. You know what I mean? You'd be in the, the bath, you know, 20... 25, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and it will only be you know 1.6, 1.2 pounds. So you know those last four pounds is where it really counts, and that's that's a lot of hours that you know he just skipped out on. So you know that's definitely something people gotta gotta take and recognize that it's 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 more than just four pounds. It's it's the work that it takes to, to get that that four pounds off.
0: It puts a lot of pressure on you because you've made your trip to Fight Island. You're trying to get into contendership status. You can't turn down that fight, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of pressure on you to take that fight, even though you know you might be at a size disadvantage.
2: Yeah, you know what I mean? Everybody, you know, a lot. Actually, everybody, no, anybody that hasn't fought before, they might be saying, oh, whatever, it's not a big deal. But all the real fighters, they know that four pounds, that can, you know, that can amount to something. But, you know, I put, I took it anyways. I didn't think it was going to matter. Uh, when I saw, I knew I was going to be stronger than him, anyways. I knew I was in better conditioning, and that just kind of showed that he, he's a, he's a quitter. So that was another thing I looked at. I, I just said my mental is going to be a lot stronger than his. I know he's he'll, he'll fold.
0: Now I was talking to Joe Valtellini about this, my podcast co-host, and he trains uh, Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon was supposed to fight at 125 pounds, but his opponent yeah. uh, insisted it be at 135. So they end up taking it a uh, weight class up. And I was saying that it's not really fair to those who. Actually go out and make the weight. I, I personally think that the UFC should pay the fighters their show money even if they decide not to take the fight because of the disadvantage that they're at. Because I think that the financial pressure and strain that it puts on the fighters that actually go out and do their job uh, is, is a major uh, disadvantage for them. And uh, while, you know, obviously the, the card would lose a fight and you have put in all this work and training and you, you've made the trip. I, I still think that it, it is unfair that a lot of these fighters come in heavy and that there's the repercussions uh, just aren't there for them to really put in that extra work. Like you mentioned, that those last four pounds can really take a toll.
2: Yeah, you know, it, like you know, one pound heavy's you know whatever, but two, you, you know, you start getting anything more than three pounds, it's like you know what are you doing? It's crazy.
0: Yeah, now that the dust has settled, you've had a chance to look at the featherweight top ten. You said that the UFC have promised you a top ten opponent next. I was looking at the the featherweight top 10 and uh, that's a uh, murderer's row right there. Is there anybody in that top 10 that you, I mean, a lot of the the fighters in that top 10, uh, you know, that that is advantageous to you is the fact that most of them are strikers. Most of them are guys that are going to stand with you that aren't going to back down. Is there anybody in that top 10 that you think would be a good matchup for you?
2: I think anybody in the top 10 would be a good matchup for me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm in my prime right now. I feel like uh, there's, there's nobody I can't, I can't go against. There's not one person in the top 10. I look at that, that I say I can't beat. So you know, I'm all I'm all for any newcomers, anybody that wants some, um, you know, um, I'm ready, hopefully get one in before the end of the year. And uh, we'll see. Uh, that was the my last fight on my last contract. So we're actually just renegotiating a new contract right now. And once that's all, you know, firmed up, uh, hopefully I can get him, you know, in December 12th or something like that.
0: So you're a free agent, I guess, but you have no intention of leaving the UFC, it seems.
2: No, 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 you know, we're just renegotiating my contract, so um you know it will will we'll, it'll be real interesting i uh will it will- it will be real interesting what what happens from here, but yeah i'm just i'm i'm with the u f c obviously that's my company that's who I'm staying with, and uh you know um uh, my my management uh paradigm we're we're working on a a nice new contract, i feel like I have a bit more work now in the company, and uh now it's time to uh to start really, yeah, death row. Start really getting on this top ten and and meeting uh, the the other sharks in the ocean.
0: So, has there been movement on the contract? Um, you you mentioned that again that you're renegotiating right now, but are you open to listening to other offers? I know you've been in the World Series of Fighting before, the PFL. There's the million dollar um, tournaments. There's of course Bellator, but uh, it seems like your heart's with the UFC.
2: Yeah, UFC's the best of the best. You know what I mean? It's 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 truly the the highest ranked fighters right now. So that is the organization I'm staying with. That's who I want to stay with. That's where I want to build my legacy with. And, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm happy that now I'm in a position where I can start, you know, getting ranked opponents and and really start building my name.
0: I spoke to Charles Jordan this week. He said that he saw you and and chatted with you after the fight. And he said he he was really happy that the UFC haven't rushed a lot of the younger Canadian fighters like yourself, like uh, Charles, uh, like TJ Laramie. Uh, he, he likes to see that, you know, everybody's kind of slowly progressing. He says, you're, you're ready for that top 15, but he likes the way that the UFC has uh, brought him along. Are you happy with the uh, amount of time that it took you to get to where you are right now?
2: Um, you know, I, I, I guess so. Everything come, everything happens for a reason. And I feel like it's finally my time to shine. Um, you know, uh, my last performance, I was just brushing some uh, COVID dust off, but you know, this next time when I get into the ring, I'm going to truly shine. And, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for, for this new path. When you say you
0: were brushing some COVID dust off, what do you mean by that?
2: You know, I had a little bit of a 10-month layoff. Um, You know, I was all, all the way in Abu Dhabi. It was just, uh, you know, I had a little bit of a slower start than I wanted. You know what I mean? But it's not going to be like that next time.
0: Any uh, fun experiences you can share from your time in Abu Dhabi? Anything that, uh, that happened there outside of the cage that stands out to you as something that's going to be particularly memorable?
2: Yeah, like the 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 pool on the rooftop was real nice. Um, you know the the definitely the the flight itself. I've never really flown first class like that before. With the with the bed and the 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 room, that little kind of mini room that closes off like that, and the, all the fancy meals on the on the plane. You know what I mean? Um, I ran into James Tony's brother on uh on he he drove by uh. When I was hitting midst, uh quarantining in Vegas in the parking lot, and uh, from afar he put James Tony on the on the FaceTime, and uh, I was talking to James Tony on the FaceTime, and he was just you know giving me some pointers, wishing me luck. So um, you know that was that was very memorable because James Tony's uh, you know one of my favorite boxers coming up as a kid, um, you know, and just just another stamp on my passport. It was very interesting. I've never been to Abu Dhabi before. Um, the heat, the humidity, um, all the COVID tests—yeah, it was just—it was crazy, man. It was—I'm still taking it all in, to be honest.
0: That's such a cool story. So you're out hitting mitts, and a guy drives up, and he's like, "Hey, I'm James Tony's brother," and he puts you on the phone with him. That's—that's that's a really yeah. cool story.
2: Yeah, it was super weird. I didn't believe him, right? I'm looking at my pad holder, like, what? But then, um, yeah, James Tony's on the phone. Boom, it's James Tony. I'm like, oh damn, this guy was alive, <laughs> So. Yeah, that was just a crazy coincidence. I'm just hitting mids and that happened. So yeah, that 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 was that was really dope. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole trip.
0: And you, uh, you share management with uh, Israel Adesanya. I know you spoke to him uh, a little bit before the event. Did you have a chance to talk to him, maybe on the flight home or anything along those lines?
2: Oh yeah, we were talking all throughout before and after. You know, we're all everybody at Paradigm, we're all quite uh, tightly knit. Um, so yeah, I was just I was picking his brain the whole time before and after, and you know, he's a cool guy, really down to earth.
0: It seems like the Nigerian fighters, uh, like yourself, I know today's actually Nigerian Independence Day, um, mm-hmm. have have really made names for themselves. Yourself, Izzy, uh, Sadiq Yusuf, um, of course uh, Kamar Uzman. It's it's nice to see that uh, a new country has become a real player in uh, in mixed martial arts.
2: Yeah, definitely, man. Um, there's a rise, you know. We're we're definitely we're good athletes. We we work hard, good work rate. So you're going to see probably a lot more Nigerians popping up.
0: It's uh, it's great to see. It's uh, nice to see you get a win uh, against Zubaira Hugov. Did you get the chance to talk to Zubaira afterwards? Uh, any any conversation about him missing weight, anything along those lines? I know you had a, a little sidebar with Habib after the fight. Uh, you mentioned that in your your post fight pre- uh, press conference.
2: Yeah no yeah I was just saying what's up to Habib you know what I'm saying I was asking him if he remembers me from you know back, back in the day when I fought you know one of his other teammates. Um, with Zubaro, uh, the only time I really talked to him was before the fight. He, he came up to me, apologized for, for missing Wade and um, all this crazy stuff. saying I don't even, even know what he was saying, but he was saying some stuff. And then, uh, you know, after the fight, we didn't really talk. I just, you know, showed my respect and uh, kept it moving.
0: Most of the conversation with him was in the cage then?
2: The conversation when we were talking in the cage?
0: Yeah, that's, that's probably when you spoke to him the most was in the cage.
2: Oh, you know, at at first he was, he was bitching about me grabbing his hand or something. He thought, I don't even know what he was, I don't know what he was trying to say. And then he said, I headbutted him. He was trying to like say, I headbutted him. I was like, I didn't headbutt, like, I, I don't know. He was just saying things that were irrelevant. And then, you know, at the end of the fight, I was just trying to get him to engage a little bit. So I could try and catch him with something nice and clean, but he just wasn't taking the bait. So that's why I was, you know, yelling like that, you know, I, it was a, uh, it was a bit of frustration, but I also was hoping, you know, he'd maybe come in, and uh, engage with me, and I could finish the show. But he he wasn't willing to take that risk.
0: What did you think about fighting in front of uh, no crowd, in front of an empty arena? Uh, I'm sure during your Muay Thai days you probably fought in front of very small crowds as well. But did that kind of bring you back to your roots?
2: Yeah, that was nothing new, man. I, like honestly, that was just that part's just so irrelevant. You know what I mean? The most important thing is your the fight, and your corner, and the purse. You know what I mean? So none of that changed. So, uh, it was, it was, I didn't even really notice it to be honest.
0: It did impact you when you were in Calgary and the fans were going crazy cheering Hakeem, you were getting a little bit emotional, although you didn't admit it to me the last time I asked you, I don't know if you'll admit it now. You were getting, yeah. you were getting a little bit emotional. Did, did that affect you compared to fighting in an empty arena where you yeah, can you know, I, focus solely on, on your opponent?
2: Yeah. I think sometimes maybe too big of a crowd can definitely, uh, can uh, get you a little bit distracted, get you more worked up than you need to be. So I think it's vice versa. I think no crowd and boom, you know, it's, it's just, it's just about the fight. When you see big crowds like that. All right, my sleeping schedule has been all messed up. I was going to say it's jet lag. Uh, yeah, not even jet lag. Like I'm still on that uh, sleeping schedule I was on out there. So I'm just trying to get back to it. But, um, but yeah, it was just it was. Um, I feel like with the with the crowd, you definitely get, if anything, more nervous. You know what I mean. So I actually, I, I, it it didn't it was it doesn't matter to me. I don't mind the no crowd at all.
0: All right, Hakeem, it was a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, congratulations on all your success, five in a row, and uh, we look forward to seeing what's next for you. Hopefully, you get like you said, get another one in before the end of 2020.
2: Definitely. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
3: I'm now
0: joined by Brad Gatona, who has signed with EMC. to a European promotion, and he's fighting for the championship, October 31st, against Stepe Birchich. If I would have told you a year ago, Brad, that you were fighting Stepe for the title, would you have been terrified?
4: You know, Stipe's a nice guy. <laughs> Stipe's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. If, 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 if it was... Uh... If it was the Steep A I know, but the Steep A that showed up against DC was was pretty mean looking, so I uh, don't know. Back then, maybe not so terrified, now, absolutely terrified, yeah.
0: <laughs> well you've uh, you've were been uh, I guess released from the UFC about a year ago. I'm not sure exactly when, uh, after your loss to Hunter Azure. And uh since then what kind of activity have you had on the open market have you been you know given offers from other promotions or was it just a matter of uh taking the, you know the best situation available to you at this time
4: You know it was all it, it was all kind of poor timing uh covid hitting just as well becoming a free agent you know that's that, that's not really the position you want to be in that's not the best negotiating position uh yeah, it's one. Honestly, it's one of the worst negotiating positions to be like, "Hey, uh, nothing's going on. Uh, can you sign us?" You don't know when your next event is. You're losing money, like hand over fist. Like you're, it's it. It's tough. Um, it is exciting being with a promotion which has put on events September 5th uh, and this is October 31st. They're putting on frequent shows, so you know I'm I'm looking for a nice nice performance here and and just stake our claim that. That we are world class you know i i've proven it time and time before it's just a matter of showing it again and 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 then who knows what's going to happen if it's me defending my belt for for emc or if it's talking with any of the larger promotions like we have options and 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 that's exciting
0: yeah absolutely and uh, so are you on a multi-fight deal uh you know should you win the title or are you expected to defend it uh
4: i am on a multi-fight deal but i i i, I do have Potential outs, you know. Um, if you see a belt hole come calling, we can exit, you know. And that that was important for us. That listen, if, if one of the top tier organizations wants us, that that we're able to hop on that. With that said, you know, if they don't after this fight, I'll happily defend my title. You know, it, it, it's just, it's a non-exclusive deal, so I can fight elsewhere if need be. It's just an overall good deal where, you know, they get me and. And and I get fights, you know. So it's uh and big fights too. Like this is a five round fight for for a nice looking belt. So I I'm just looking at uh keeping the well getting the momentum building again. You know, it's been it's been a year off. It it's not exactly what anybody wants in their career because I've been healthy most that year too. You know, it's it's one I've been wanting to fight, but unfortunately, circumstances as it is, you know, those those people worse off. So it's hard to complain, but you know. I'm just looking forward to, like, really showing the work I've put in. You know, it's, it's been a year of work. It's not like a uh, quarantine happened. I was like, oh, it sucks. Okay, I'll sit this one out. I I was working hard the entire time, working on improving, not just staying in shape, you know, getting better. And I, you know, I have got better. I just want to show it off. I'm, I'm really excited about that.
0: And the prospect of five rounds, uh, do you relish that opportunity, the fact that you might be able Always. to show off your skills for five rounds?
4: Always. You know, like, I am yeah like usually with five rounds the better fighter usually wins usually like i'd say always but but generally the better fighter will win over five rounds with three rounds you know there's more athleticism and sprinting and that can happen over five rounds the most skilled fighter generally wins you know and uh i'm excited i I, i'm never the one fading in my fights clinging on to the deer like to the end hoping that the fight's going to finish you know you look at my career I have a lot of third round three round finishes, you know. So I'm excited about the five rounds. I hope I don't need the five rounds. Like let's face it, twenty five minutes of doing anything, it, you have the best guys at the board making it nothing pleasant and, and, and I'm sure it's not gonna be the most enjoyable time. But I know if I'm suffering my opponent is and, and I'll take that trade off any day.
0: How surprised were you that you got released from the UFC? You won the Ultimate Fighter, the only Canadian to ever win a regular season of the Ultimate Fighter. When you got that call after, I guess, with only two losses in the UFC, was that surprising to you?
4: Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a crappy day. That was a crappy Tuesday. I remember getting that email. Um, and, and and the text of John, John was supposed to be talking with uh, Sean Shelby, and then he couldn't arrange a meeting. This was... a. Uh, What's on was in New York for Makwa and Amir Caney's fight. And, uh, yeah, John was going to be talking to Sean Shelby on what's next, so I'm all excited. Wait, waiting for news, and, and, and the news was was unfortunately <laughs> negative. Um, yeah, it was, it was a surprise. And what's even more surprising afterwards is them signing uh, Tyler Phillips. It's like, I beat him. I, I beat Bryce Mitchell, but, but when they released me, it seems like their decision to release me discounted those fights you know that those were i think
3: two great
4: performances then i had two more after that and then i i definitely lost one against now a guy who's in the top 10 and the hunter reserve fight we, we can we can talk about how how i think i should have gotten the decision and and how i won every stat in that fight so yeah i was surprised you know fighting a guy who's now in the top 10 and an undefeated guy at that point like those aren't easy fights those aren't an underhand tosses i've seen some guys <laughs> pull out of fights miss weights uh, all, all sorts of things and then go on a 2 skid skin not get cut you know so it's, it's one of those where it was a surprise it it sucks but i can worry about that or i can get back to work and just make myself undeniable
0: yeah i often find that surprising when you see other fighters from the same season that have lost two fighters that have since been cut. And, you know, I mean, Kyler Phillips, I think, is a great fighter. Um, I think they've also signed Tyler Diamond, if I'm not mistaken. I know that they had signed him on short notice. I don't know what ended up happening. And if they kept him around, I might be wrong on that. But it is, it is interesting to see other fighters from the same season as you that didn't get to where you got still in the UFC.
4: Yeah, you know, it's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it sucks, man. Like, Tyler Phillips lost to me on the show. He, he he then lost his I think split decision. Then he got a win and then he was in, you know. And 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 congrats to him, you know. Like he he's he's a very skilled fighter. I absolutely like well, when when he picked me for for his opponent in the Ultimate Fighter. It was like ah nuts. This this is gonna be a hard one, you know. And I I, I went two rounds to to zip with him. Like I, I I I I think I had a very good performance against him and. Had a very good performance against Bryce Mitchell and then beat so I I I I beat Kyler and all undefeated. I beat three undefeated guys in a row, then then won a fight, and then lost against the top ten guy. Like like we, we could talk about it being a, in unjust or or anything. They they have the reasons. I, I I see them picking up a whole bunch of guys now. I I don't know if it's just with COVID. There's there's obviously opportunities to hop on short notice, but. I, I, I'm trying not to worry too much about that. I get uh, that's that's a year ago now. You know, um, I've just built up. I've just gotten so much better, and 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 it's that's the exciting part. And, and and just like I did on the show, I made myself undeniable. I just went out, I won fights, I won fights against good guys, and I think that's the best way to do it. And and that's what I've scheduled coming up at the end of October. You know, I I'm, I'm fighting a guy with an eight one record. You know, I, it's it's i I could have went out and tried to get an o and o guy half these guys over here have beaten a guy who owned twenty three or these 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 ridiculous records no, I'm fighting a legit guy you know i'm i'm fighting legit talent and you know it's, it's just i've said this before i'm just excited you know it's it's one of those where it's like i it's not like motivation needed to be higher in any of my u m c his motivation was was maxed out right I'd love to be in the UFC. I'd love competing against the best, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. What do you know about
0: Stephen Birchich?
4: The best way I can use to describe him is he's a physical fighter. I've watched quite a few of his fights. He, he he looks physically fit. It looks like he hits hard, which, you know, unfortunately throws a lot of power into into his shot. So how, how can you not hit hard? It's not like when these, you know, Conor McGregor touches where it's a like straight, straight left hand and guys are crumpling you know these are these are big wound up shots hugely telegraphed um Mm -hmm. and anyone has power when they do that for me my job is not to get hit with those obviously but he he's good everywhere it seems like he has a good powerful double leg he drops for leg locks, which is a little unorthodox he just looks like a modern day mixed martial artist but it's fueled off of a lot of attributes i think and if he wants to go attribute for attribute with me, I'm happy to. If he wants to go skill set for skill set with me, I'm even more happy to. You know, so it, it's one of those where I'm just, I'm, I'm very confident in this matchup, and I'm very confident in it being five rounds because if, who knows, bad day, he, he clips me, I go down, and and I need to take a round, you know, that's only one round. Or, or he starts hot, and I'm down two, you know, I have three more rounds with you. so... It's not the plan. Isn't to take him to deep waters. I just know what my skills are, and I know who I've competed against, and and they just exceed anything he's done before. And where can people watch this fight if they want to check it out? I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure they have a pay per view of some kind. I think it's. I think they streamed the last ones. I, I I'm not positive on any of it. Uh, I think Fight. probably has it, but once again, I don't want to just say definitely there because. I don't really know. Um, I'm more worried about the fight. You know, I, I, I really wish I had all the details about it, but really, I got the name. I said yes. I've been praying my butt off for it. You know, so all the other stuff, I usually worry about that stuff fight week, and uh, yeah, we just take care of camp now.
0: You're gonna get a lot of calls from people in Winnipeg. You should have that answer. It should be in your back pocket because they're gonna wonder where where they can see that exactly, their their exactly. their native son um, perform.
4: Yeah, it, it, exactly. I'm I, I, um even streaming the Beltro Fights the other day I got a message, how do I watch? I'm like, Man, there's ways of figuring it out, but <laughs> uh, I'll have to Google it after. I guess that's on me.
0: Yeah, there's always like a let me Google that for you. you can just send them like L I think it's L M G T F Yeah, dot com.
4: I, I, I I've used it before, so it's just like <laughs> man, I, I yeah <laughs> I I'm sure if you taped an EMC six stream there's something that pops up, you know? It'll be easy. It'll be easy. It's the 21st century. Like, we, we can do it. And this is for the
0: Bantamweight title, right? You're, you're not moving it, back up to featherweight at any point in time?
4: No, I'm not moving up to featherweight any time soon. You know, uh, I stayed fit over COVID, so um, no need to jump up.
0: All right, Brad, It It's always nice talking to you. And it sounds like there might be some news uh, in, in Dublin coming up in December. Common McGregor has tweeted out that there's going to be a pay-per-view, uh, sorry, uh, free to air uh, sparring matchup between him and Dustin Poirier that's uh, going to benefit several charities. So uh, whether or not this comes to fruition, I don't know. But it seems like both guys are on board.
4: Hey, I mean, both guys are on board. It's a full good cause. I'd watch it.
0: <laughs> would you ref it if they asked you to? Since it's an exhibition, I guess. I don't know if you'd need licensure for that.
4: Would I would I do what? So would you
0: Would you ref it if they asked you to? If they said, Brad, we need a ref for this fight.
4: Would I ref it? I don't know if I can handle <laughs> that pressure. I don't know. <laughs> 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 My first reffing, uh reffing stint to ref that fight i don't know they can find someone better get mark on it he's he can't be too far
0: i like how you say i, I don't know if i can handle that kind of pressure yet and at the end of the month you're doing five rounds with uh, a champion but uh yeah, yeah it, i mean at least you know you're good at that the referee hey, i hey, get hey, it man,
4: if, if you asked me to go to do stand-up comedy i'd be like no way in in hell you know <laughs> i'd be way too nervous to do that so so yeah when you have skills in something, you can put a lot of trust in it. So, um, reffing that fight, oh, man, that would be, that'd be tough. I wouldn't sleep the night before. <laughs>
0: All right, bad. Well, I won't put that on you. But uh, best of luck uh, <laughs> on October 31st. It's yourself, Stipe as EMC6, and I appreciate your time.
4: Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks Arden.
0: All right, thank you for tuning in for the TSN MMA show. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks to our guests, Charles Jordan, Hakeem Dawadu, and Brad Katona. Next week, we'll be joined by KB Buller, new Canadian in the UFC, and he's taking on Tom Breeze, who will also join us on the show, as well as Corey Sanhagen, who's in the main event against Marlon Marais. Uh Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to speaking with you next week and recapping UFC Fight Night, home versus Aldana.